Well, good morning again. Today we're kicking off a new sermon series. We're going to be spending about the next seven weeks talking about generosity. Um, we are following a teaching series from a group called Gospel in Life. It's, it's connected to uh, teachings of Tim Keller and Redeemer Church in Manhattan. Uh, so we're kind of leaning on them for, for this. There's companion small group materials that some of our groups are using, uh, devotional materials. I can get you information about that. Uh, but the content's not completely original in that sense, but this is really uh, good material and, and just important topics, and we are excited to build upon their work and, and bring this to you, so, uh, so we're looking forward to it. But some of you might be thinking, seven weeks on generosity, good grief. <laughs> Let's just come back at Thanksgiving. And we'll, uh, uh, when we talk about generosity, biblical generosity, uh, we're not just, we're not talking about money. We're not just talking about money. So be assured, it's not seven weeks of that. Um, it's actually much more than that. It's actually harder than that in a, in a bigger concept. In fact, if I were to ask you, what are the major themes of the Bible? And you could list out some of the major themes that you see in Scripture as you understand how God has revealed himself. I would argue that generosity is a major theme, pervasive throughout Scripture. So it's important for us to focus on it. So, but why, why would you spend seven weeks just talking about generosity? Uh, why would you do that? Is it because it's good for the church? Well, it is good for the church. And is, we are generous as a church. We, well, it helps pay the bills, of course, and that's, that's great. But uh, also, it'll, generosity, as we, as we are generous together, it allows us to be generous not just for you know, our organization, our community, but also beyond the walls of this church to other uh, relief and, and good service organizations in our community. And we should be famous for our generosity and giving to those in need around us and uh, even beyond our immediate neighbors around the world. And so that's a very good thing. But at the end of the day, you don't have to be a person of faith. You don't have to be a Christian to be generous in that way. There's all kinds of organizations, even businesses, uh, different groups that are generous in that way. You could just go to just watch a telethon or watch any kind of fundraiser, and you know people come in with the big, huge, you know, the big, huge checks, literally the big, you know, and take a photo and do that kind of generosity is uh, is very common we, and it's good. But that's not why we're doing this. Are we doing this for seven weeks because it's good for us? And because generosity is actually good for us. There was a recent book by the sociologists Christian Smith and Hilary Davidson. And it was, called, it was called The Paradox of Generosity. I'm going to refer to it a few times in a message today. Uh, but they, they found that there was not just a correlation between generosity and happiness, but a causation. Meaning that generosity caused happiness... And their research bore that out. They said, you know, Americans who describe themselves as very happy volunteer an average of 5.8 hours per month. And those who were unhappy, just 0.6 hours. Uh, they also found that Americans who donate a higher percentage of their income have lower rates of depression than people who, who donate less. They, they saw these things, <clears throat> these connections. So there was a happiness connection. But... Also, just the, there was an, a separate study on neural, neural activity of people who were generous. So this, the case 
the, the group, the study group, was given an opportunity to have money and they could either donate it to charity or keep it for themselves. And this is what they found. They discovered surprising differences in the neural activity for decisions that involved donating money versus receiving money. Specifically, while the monetary reward activated the mesolimbic reward system, including the dorsal and ventral striatum of the ventral tag tegmental area, as would be expected <laughs> of something that gives a positive reward, when people donated money to a charity, the same network showed even greater activity and the activity spread to the subgenual area, implicated in social attachments, of course, which had remained inactive in the pure monetary reward. While we may not always agree, our brains seem to suggest that the joy of being a gifts giver may eclipse that of being its recipient. So whether it's you measure it in terms of happiness or brain activity, it is healthy to be generous. But that's not why we're doing this. The reason that we're spending all this time thinking about generosity is because generosity connects us to the heart of God. Your life has purpose and meaning, purpose and meaning beyond being part of a noble cause or noble community, far beyond your own personal happiness and personal fulfillment. We were created by God in his image. And when we can connect with God's heart, and when we can experience and live it, we are united with God in a way that has implications beyond your happiness and beyond this community. It has cosmic implications. It connects us with God's work in all that he's doing in his kingdom, in, in the universe, which has implications for today and for all of eternity. And that's, a, that's a, an amazing opportunity for us to enter into that, to experience that, and to live it out for the benefit of the world and for God's glory. That's why we're doing this. The, perhaps the most famous verse in the whole Bible is, is this. For God so loved the world that he gave. That God is a giving God. That God is generous in his very nature. And that's we're going to focus on God's generosity, which can genuinely change us from the inside out. And he gets the glory for that. So what we're going to do this morning is I want to show you three things. One, what generosity is not. And we learn that in the story that Jesus told here about the Pharisee. So we're going to learn what generosity is not from the Pharisee. I want to show you what generosity is. And we learn that from Jesus and his interaction with the children. And then I want to talk about how to become generous. And surprisingly, we learn how to become generous from a tax collector in Jesus' story. So that's what we're going to do this morning. Let's pray. So Father God, as we embark on this, we acknowledge that this is a, a we gather in your name and we are here to worship and experience you and that is no small thing, Lord. That you, God, sovereign, creator of the universe, care enough to, to know us and to love us and for us to be a part of, of what you are doing, Lord. May you receive all the glory, and may we just humble ourselves in this time to receive whatever it is, Lord, that you have for us. May we, may we receive it with humble and open hearts, and may you give us the grace to be obedient to however you lead. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right, first thing, what generosity is not? 
We learn this from a, this Pharisee here. This is a story that Jesus told. He's trying to make a point. And the Pharisees in Jesus' day, sometimes I say Pharisee, you get a negative connotation because you read your Bible and Jesus was sometimes at odds with this group. But in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were very moral, very upright, very well-respected in their community. They were good guys. And so the good guy in the story is a Pharisee, and we see as he prays, we learn that he gives 10% of all that he has. That is very generous, even by American standards. Americans are very generous. I don't know if you know this. Boston Globe article, a recent one, says that Americans were by far the most charitable nation, roughly twice as generous as Canadians, Spaniards, and the Irish. And for instance, in more than 20 times as apt to give than Germans and Italians. Those reported in the Boston Globe. Americans, very generous. There was a report, a separate report by a group called Market Watch. They said that in 2015, last year, total charitable, charitable donations from individuals, estates, and foundations and corporations rose about 4% to $373.25 billion in 2015 alone, which is record setting in current dollars, or if, as you would adjust for inflation, this is the most generous year that our country has ever had, as you look at that. And that means, on average, Americans give $1 billion every day to charitable causes. And again, some of that comes from trusts and corporations and uh, from different foundations, but the bulk and the vast majority of that giving comes from individual donors, just individual Americans who give to charitable causes. Now, that said, you know, there's millions of Americans who don't give anything to anybody. So in these studies, only about 60% of households made any charitable gift in, in a given year. And it varies across the country wildly. So the most generous states are Utah and Mississippi. So the typical household in those states averages more than 7% of its income to charity. The stingiest state in the union is the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. <laughs> along with some other northeastern states, give uh, less than 3% of income. And that was published in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, if you want to look some of that up. My point here is this. Even by American standards and Ameri by world standards are very generous, this Pharisee is extremely generous, 10% of all that he has. Yet, he doesn't walk away from this justified in God's eyes. He's not the one who walks away justified. So he has a very open wallet, we could say, but he has a very closed heart. Open wallet, closed heart. And we see his heart as he prays. And he prays, thank you, God. That's a good prayer. We pray prayers, thank you, God, all the time. What do we usually say? Thank you, God, you provided for me. Thank you, God, you for who you are. Thank you, God, for your work, for what you've done for your love. Thank you, God, you. What does the Pharisee pray? Thank you, God, I. Thank you, God, I am moral and spiritual and generous. That's essentially the Pharisee's prayer. It, giving money is good, but that's not necessarily generous in terms of uh, pure generosity. Giving money can actually be very self-serving. And you see that at times where people you know, want, will give money generously but want recognition, sort of want to make sure their name is on the 
the program at the right level. Uh, sometimes when there's fundraisers, you know, people want their name on a brick. You see your family gets a brick. We're fixing our bricks, and, and thank goodness, I don't know if you've seen the scaffolding around the building, and there's a lot of work to repoint and repair these bricks. That's all paid for, and, and you people were very generous last year when we were raising money for that, so the work that's being done was paid for a year ago. Um, so we can do that work, but we didn't do that where people get their names on the brick, because that's not how we view generosity, that we get credit for it. But it's easy to fall into that trap, of, of wanting to be recognized um, for the good things we do. I had a situation a few weeks ago. I was out fishing, and I usually fish for the pure joy of being outdoors and, and creation and worshiping God and just the sport of fishing. and just It's very fulfilling to me. It's my, one of my favorite hobbies. And I'm out fishing. I was in Plum Island on the jetty right at the mouth of the Merrimack River, and there was a few other guys fishing, and nobody's catching anything. And a party boat comes up right in front of me. And they anchored. And there was probably 20 guys fishing off the side of this boat. And I'm, I'm out there with my fly rod. And I'm stripping the line. And I hook one. And I put on a show for these people. <laughs> so I, you might as well have thought it was a 50-pound fish. I mean, I hook it. I got my hands way over my head. And I'm you know, on the rocks. I'm trying to make my way down the water. And I get it on the reel. And you know, Wiping the sweat off and, and, and you know, making sure that the people on the jetty and on the boat see this happening. And I, you know, it, was, it was all very uh, theatric and wonderful. And, um, you know, I'm letting it strip line out. You know, just like... So I get the fish close to the jetty and I see that it's only, you know, it's a small, it's a little schooly striper uh, after the show. So I just gently leaned into the water and, you know, I kind of held it enough that they could see I got the fish, but I didn't exactly, you know, hold it up because it wasn't like, you know, kind of let it go and, you know, did that and got back to it. So uh, my point is this, it's easy to do that in that moment, I was not fishing for the pure sport. I was showing off. I wanted people to see that I hooked a fish and other people. And this whole attitude that's in my human heart, I don't know about you, but it, it's in there. And this can really cloud our understanding of generosity. So, generosity is not just about opening your wallet. And the Pharisee is just a great example of that. I'm a good example of that, too. Uh, but secondly, so what is generosity? Jesus shows us what generosity really is here. This is his interaction with the children. And, of course, Jesus is exemplary in all of life. If you want to know what generosity is, look to Jesus. You want to know what love is? Look to Jesus. You want to know forgiveness, mercy? Look to Jesus. But we wouldn't normally consider this account in Jesus' ministry as teaching about generosity. It's more about children and our approach to the kingdom. But it's interesting that it immediately follows, in Luke's gospel, it immediately follows this prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector. In the passage that's immediately after it, which is not printed in your text today, but if you look in your Bible, the text right after it is a teaching about how hard it is for the rich to, to enter God's kingdom. And in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark, it, it's, right, it's juxtaposed with that same teaching. So it's, it's at least interesting to us to see how these accounts are next to each other. But what does it have to do with generosity? Well, I'll, maybe we should ask the question, what's going on here? Why are the disciples 
not wanting the, Jesus to interact with the little children? Why are they rebuking the people and trying to get the children away? Is it not because they feel that Jesus is just too busy? That Jesus is too important? His time is too valuable to waste on little children? And little children, aren't, they don't, there's no reward for that. There's no real benefit to the ministry of Jesus for him to spend all this time with these little children. They don't have the status and they're not going to, it's, it's not productive to invest in these children. So for Jesus to take the time with these children, he has to be generous. He's being generous with his time. He's being generous with his life. That's what's going on here. And when we think about biblical generosity, we're talking about radical generosity. We're talking about complete and lavish generosity. And it's a generosity that is generous in all currencies, not just money. Because again, the Pharisees showed us you could be generous with your wallet and not with other parts of your life. There's all these different currencies. And a generous lifestyle is generous in all the currencies. For example, one currency is physical and emotional currency. That's the kind of currency that, if you're not spending it, says, I'll write a check, but I, don't, I can't get involved. I prefer to write a check, but not give the uh, physical or emotional energy towards whatever this causes. There's the currency of hospitality. Hospitality is a currency that says, I'd love to be generous, but just not on my new carpets or in my bathroom. Just not in my house. I'll be generous elsewhere. There's the currency of relationship, relational currency. And in a generous relationship, as we looked in the passage of Scripture that Pastor Dan was preaching last week, love keeps no record of wrongs. That kind of currency in a generous relationship doesn't keep, keep accounts. So often in relationships, we are mindful of people we've been nice to and good to and have been generous towards and with our time or our words or however. And we realize that those people sort of owe us. And there's other people out there who have wronged us. They've, they've slighted us. They've ignored us. They've been mean to us. And they've been harsh with us. And we keep that account too. They owe us too. And we keep these accounts. But love keeps no record of wrong. So the, current, the relationship currency is being continually wiped clean. Time is a currency that we have. And it's a very expensive currency. That's perhaps one of the most valuable currencies we have is to give our time to others. There's energy. Not just time, but time over a, a, the long haul. If, if I'm going to walk with somebody and be generous towards them in their need or in their struggle, I might realize up front, this is going to take a long time. This isn't a one-time fix. That if I'm going to be generous with my life to this person, I'm thinking this, is, this could be many years of walking with a, a family member, a neighbor. And it takes generosity in that. And of course, money and possessions. This is also a currency that we have to be able to be generous and bless people with. So when we talk about generosity, we're talking about all those currencies all the time. Not just one, not just where it's convenient. Now that's, I mean, do you feel guilty? I, I think about this, I feel guilty. And I suppose in some ways guilt is not always bad if it can push me towards um, 
something better. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty and not trying to make myself feel guilty, but I want to paint for you just a big, beautiful picture of a generous life. And this is what we are looking at and exploring and how do we develop it. So that leads us to our third point today, is how do we get this? Because you can't just conjure it up. So this, uh, I mentioned that book, Paradox of Generosity. There was an interview with the author, Christian Smith, and the interviewer asked him this question. He said, since I know I'll be better off uh, by being generous, can I just start giving a bit and then reap some sweet rewards? And Smith says this, he said, actually you can't cynically try and look to get effect. We have to learn to be generous people. It's sort of like happiness itself. You can't go out and say, I'm gonna be happy today, darn it, and then get happy. We just have to do things that make us happy, like have good relationships, have rewarding work, and then lo and behold, we find ourselves being happy. And he said, generosity is very similar to that. But you can't just go and say, tomorrow, I'm gonna get up, and I'm gonna be more generous. Just, he, he says it, he, it just won't happen. So how do we develop it? How do we get there? Interestingly, we learn that from a tax collector in verses 13 and 14. The key here is humility. The tax collector prays, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the tax collector is the one who walks away justified in God's eyes. And you have to see how shocking this is. Remember, the Pharisee in Jesus' day is a moral, upright, good guy, well-respected. A tax collector, a Jewish tax collector, was somebody who was seen as a crook, an exploiter, an agent of Rome, a, a, someone who has betrayed their own nation. These are people who, you know, working for the foreign oppressors to collect whatever taxes were required and then whatever you want on top of that. They were seen as the real bad guys. And... Here we have the bad guy walking away justified and the good guy not justified before the Lord. And we see this time and again in Jesus' ministry. And what Jesus is trying to show here is that it's not the religious elite, people who think they have it all together, who are so close to God's kingdom. It's the people who are broken and realize they need God's mercy. Jesus said, he, he told these religious leaders, he said, prostitutes and tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Now, Jesus is not promoting prostitution. Jesus is not promoting exploiting or stealing or being uh, unjust in finances. He's saying it's, it's the sinful, broken people who know that they can't pay the debt of sin that they have that really get it. They're right at the door. They have the key to understanding true generosity and truly entering in God's kingdom. It's the good people who don't understand. And, and this whole story is for these good religious people. Even the first verse here, it says in verse 9, it was to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. It was for them to see that contrast. And here the tax collector says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I didn't realize before I started studying this passage that the word the tax collector uses for mercy here is a very interesting word. It's not just the regular New Testament word for mercy, which would mean, you know, pity, mercy, compassion. 
the word he used, the, the Greek word is elaskomai, helaskomai. It's, it's the word for atonement. He's not just saying, God, I need, I need a free pass here. He's saying, I need atonement. I need my, or covering. I need my sins to be covered. I need my debt to be paid, not just a free pass. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We see the same word only three other times in the New Testament. And I want to show you all three. Uh, because this is an important concept. So he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me. Halaskomai. The other place, this first verse here, in Hebrews chapter 2, this is the same verb. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. The idea is, whatever this tax collector is praying, and Jesus is giving him these words. This is a story. This isn't, it's a parable. He's saying, this is saying Jesus is that atonement. Jesus becomes that covering, that atonement, that he's making that on behalf of all people. Now, two other places, the next one. Now, this is the noun version of that same word. So this would be hilasterion is, is, the, is the noun in Greek. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. So it's the same word that was used to describe a piece of furniture in in Jewish worship. So basically, and if you're not familiar with it, I don't know if this makes sense, but there was, uh, God was making promises to his people to redeem them and to save them and gave them ways to worship him rightly. And basically there was an ark, which is a box, and there were things in that box that were symbolic of God's covenant promises. And on top of that was a covering, and it was called the atonement cover. And the word atonement just literally means covering. So, and on top of that were some angels, these cherubim were, were carved, and God's presence was known and experienced there. And on one day every year, a priest, a high priest, would go into the most holy place of the temple, and there was this ark in, with this atonement cover on it, and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice on top of it. And God promised when he saw that blood, that that blood satisfied God's justice and really God's wrath. And it satisfied God, and the blood covered their sins in a temporary way for that year. And so that was sprinkled. And they would do it on a special day called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which Jewish people around the world and in our community will celebrate on Wednesday. And I'm positive because the kids have a five-day weekend from school. Because they have Columbus Day and Yom Kippur off at Andover Public Schools. And they gave them the Tuesday as like a bonus. Like, when are the parents supposed to work? But anyway, um, I'm happy for their five-day weekend. Which I never got in elementary school. Uh, but this is a very special day. Probably the most important day in the calendar of, of Jewish worship. And it's, it's good that we, as a community, recognize what this is. So this same word, the sinner says, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have, you know, I need atonement. Uh, this is the same noun version, atonement covered. And then the last place we see it is here in Romans chapter 3. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Same word, hilasterion. Through faith in his blood, he did this to demonstrate his justice. That it's... In the same way that the priest went in and sprinkled the blood of the sacrifice for that year, Jesus, because he is eternal, he gives his blood 
which covers our sins eternally, once for all. It doesn't have to be repeated. On the cross, Jesus became the, that sacrifice of atonement, and his blood covers our sins. And what that means, as we think about generosity, is Jesus was ultimately generous. He gave everything for our account. And we have a spiritual account, and we are in great debt with sin, every person. And Jesus pays that account, and he wipes out all your debt, and in its place he writes in all his goodness. And now we have an account that is limitless, that his grace and all the spiritual blessings in Jesus, which make us very wealthy, we can now spend those in the world around us every day. That's at the heart of generosity. The, the Christian author Charlie Jones put it this way. He said, giving, in, in terms of the Christian faith, it, it's not giving to get something, it's giving because you have something to give. That's generosity. Again, Christian Smith, the author of, of that book, he says, he says, another thing that's mind-boggling about his research, another thing that's mind-boggling is that the percentage of people's salaries that they give is unrelated to how much they earn. That is, as people earn more and more money, they don't give relatively higher and higher proportions of their income. It's really not the case that a lot of people don't give because they can't afford it. Generosity is not about wealth versus poverty. Generosity is about spiritual wealth versus spiritual poverty. And when we realize how wealthy we are in Jesus Christ, in, in, in a cosmic bank account, how much wealth has been deposited to you, then you know you have so much to spend. And then you can truly, your heart can truly change and you can truly live a life that is radically generous in all those different currencies of life. It's God's grace that makes us generous. Amen.